And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bible to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 15 this morning. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there in the rows, it'll be page 949. As you turn there, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, launch this final sermon in our sent series by sending some props and congratulations to a couple of people. Uh, number one, I want to I give a shout out to our pastor of missions and discipleship. Uh, his name is Dr. Jonathan David Chasty. All right, so let's give it up for John. Really proud of him. He worked extremely hard uh, throughout the whole process and uh, not only accomplished the work, but did so with Christ-like character and set an example uh, for our leadership team and our church in that. So it's a, a major accomplishment. And uh, is he not looking good there? I mean, that's some, that's, some, uh, that's some doctoral swag right there, okay? So thank you, John, for looking good and uh, for, for getting that done. And then I'd also like to, uh, to introduce another superstar to you. Uh, probably most of you heard of this little lady. This is Jordan Hope Turley, all right? This is our third daughter, born last Saturday night, not last night, but a week ago Saturday, 9.39 p.m., and she is healthy, beautiful, and allows her parents to sleep on select nights of the week. <laughs> so uh, we are enjoying her in our family. Now, uh, one of the added bonuses of her arrival is the arrival of our family who are coming to see her primarily, but then also lend some helping hands to us uh, as we get adjusted to life as a family of five. So on Friday night, I picked up my wonderful mother-in-law, Beverly Harris, best mother-in-law in the world, all right? And uh, she is going to be with us for a little more than a week. Then uh, when she leaves, my sister will come in for about a week. Then the next day, my parents will come in for about a week and a half. And then I found out this week that in mid-June, we're going to have a very special guest. My grandmother, Jordan's great-grandmother, who's about 80 years old, will make her first flight ever in her life to come and spend some time with us and see us. So it's really cool, and we're very excited about her visit uh, to Medford. Now, all of this running to and fro to the airport has me a, a little bit in, in airport mode, and it just so happens that now with this mission series, I've thought about how that there are some parallels between an airport terminal and the church, okay? So just bear with me and think about this for just a moment, okay? Let me give you three points of consideration. Number one, an airport terminal has a mass of people that are trying to do their thing and get to where they're going, right? So I don't know about you, but I love the peak hours in an airport where they're just people flooded through the terminals trying to make it to their gates. Some are kind of chilling out because they're you know, waiting on a layover, but then you have others, you know, those people that are just sweating, stressed out, running from one gate to the next. And if it's not you, then you can kind of smile and think how you're glad it's not you. Um, but we see that in, in, in airports, all right, a mass of people. Number two, they're on their way to a destination, right? So they've come to this, this spot so that they can be transferred to another ultimate destination. And then number three, to get all of this accomplished, 
takes a very detailed and careful strategy to work out the logistics to get the people and the luggage and the planes to where they are supposed to go. And this reminds me of the church of Jesus Christ. We are a group of people that are heading toward a destination, and God has given us a very careful and detailed strategy to accomplish his mission of redemption in the world. So I don't know how God has brought you to Medford or greater Boston. I don't know how God worked. I know, actually, I know a lot of how he worked to bring you to Redemption Hill. But the cool thing is this, most of you, and this is kind of hurts as a pastor because I love all of you, but, but we have to have realistic expectations. We realize that most of you are not going to be here for the rest of your life. But what this means is we have an opportunity as a family of believers to see people come into this terminal and to be sent out to another place in the world to take this mission of the gospel that we find in the pages of Scripture to a new destination. And this gets at our global mission strategy as a church. This morning, I want us to think about reaching the unreached. And I want to introduce the global mission strategy of Redemption Hill Church as we do this. And we're going to do so by uh, looking at the greatest missionary of the church, save Jesus, minus Jesus, okay? And that would be the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, if you've read the book of Acts and you've read his letters that he wrote uh, in the New Testament, you know that Paul devoted every fabric of his being to taking the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. And this is what we're going to find in Romans 15. So as we look at Paul's ambition. I want to encourage us to be filled with a holy ambition to reach unreached peoples with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me read verses 14 through 21 of Romans 15 for us. It says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience." by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
As we work through this passage this morning, I want to give you three encouragements as to how we can be about this global mission God has for us as a church, okay? Number one, let's be driven by a great ambition to make Christ known among the unreached. Let's be driven by a great ambition to make Christ known among the unreached. I hope you have read the book of Romans sometime in your life. If, if not yet, I would highly recommend it. This is the gospel according to Paul. He lays out the story of the gospel, how that God is the God who is to be worshiped and glorified, that we as sinful people have not glorified him, fallen short of his glory, but how that in Christ Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the story of the book of Romans. And in this lengthy letter, Paul now is going to conclude in chapter 15, push toward a conclusion, and he is going to talk about why he wrote to them so very boldly, but he's also going to lay out his plans for the future. And in between, he is going to give us his missionary strategy. Verses 17 through 21 form the heart of this passage, and we can understand what Paul was about by zeroing in on two verses this morning, verses 16 and verse 20. And so we're gonna take those in reverse order. Paul begins, uh, and he says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. This was Paul's greatest ambitions. I'm sure you have some ambitions in your life. I hope you do, right? God wired us for glory. He wants us to pursue that which will satisfy us. And so we know, not only experientially, but also from the scripture, that our ambitions can either be selfish or they can be selfless. They can be for our own glory, or they can be for the glory of God. They can be a holy ambition. And Paul's ambition was certainly holy. It was to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Now, what does Paul mean by where Christ has not already been named? Is he simply referring to going to places where people had never even heard of the name Jesus? Or is it something more? It's actually something more, okay, but not, but not less. So Paul wanted to go to places where people were not naming the name of Jesus. In other words, they were not acknowledging who Jesus is and confessing him as the Lord of their lives. It's a Romans 10, 9 kind of thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the kind of naming Paul is referring to, that Jesus is Lord. Now, consequently, many times he was going to areas and cities where they truly had never heard the name of Jesus. Who's Jesus? What? I've never heard of that name. And there are places all over the world that we could go to today. They have never, ever heard of the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, hey, I'm going to give my life to that. I'm going to spend my life so that people can come to know the saving power of Christ. And the context makes this clear. is exactly what he's talking about because verse 21, he quotes Isaiah to kind of validate his ministry. And he says in verse 21, quoting Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. 
So Paul is saying people, though they are living, can actually be spiritually blind. And though they have knowledge of a lot of things, they actually may be lacking true spiritual understanding. So when the word of Christ goes forth, they, when coupled with faith in the power of the spirit, they are given spiritual sight and spiritual understanding to then become worshipers of God. Which takes us to then verse 16. Working backwards, Paul says there, he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is Paul talking about mission as a priestly service? This is why. Paul was giving to God an offering. This is what the priests did. They would make offerings to God, offerings and sacrifices to God. And so Paul says, I'm making an offering to God. And it is the offering of the Gentiles because these Gentiles, non-Jews, were coming to faith in Christ and though they wouldn't, once had not worshiped God with their life, now they are becoming worshipers of God and now he is presenting them to God as those who are giving God glory with their lives. He says in verse 18, his aim was to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And you say, what obedience, Paul? Well, this obedience is spoken of as bookends in the book of Romans. When you read it this week, okay? Chapter one, verse five, says, talks about the obedience of faith, as does chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. So this is how they became an acceptable offering to God. They had obeyed the message to believe in Christ. It's a command, believe. See that he is worthy, trust him. Find your life in him. These Gentiles had done that. And consequently, they became an offering that was acceptable, that was purified to God. And they did so because the Holy Spirit, he says at the end of verse 16, the Holy Spirit had invaded their life, given them new life, caused them to believe and caused them to be set apart for God. We see the work of the Spirit at the end of verses 18 and 19 as well. Look at, look at what Paul says. How did he accomplish his work? Verse 18 and 19, by word and deed. Okay, pause. At Redemption Hill Church, we believe that these two always go together. Word and deed. We never separate word and deed. They're always working together. We can talk a good game, but if we don't live it out, man, who cares? Who's going to believe us? And at the same time, let's not fall into the trap of doing a lot of good deeds and think, oh yeah, people are going to see Jesus in us. They're just going to see it, man. They're going to catch a little Jesus when we give them a cup of cold water. It's not going to happen unless we open our mouths and say, you know why I'm serving you. You know why I'm sacrificing time for you. You know why I'm giving up my resources for you because Jesus has changed my life and he can change your life as well. Word and deed always go together. So it's by word and deed. It's by the power of signs and wonders and it's by the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul's ministry 
was accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not moving, then nothing is going to be moved. No one is going to be moved. We can preach the gospel and share the gospel with a thousand people, but if the Spirit doesn't take our words and empower them and give life, our words will be in vain. And so this is why as a church, we're always trying to talk about the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for the Spirit to to use us, to work through us, to empower us, to energize us in the mission that God has set before us. I love the fact that God takes ordinary people like you and like me, and he gives us an extraordinary task, and he gives us a supernatural spirit by which we can then accomplish his work. And so let me ask you this morning, do you possess Paul's ambition to make Christ known and to present worshipers to God? Surely by now, if you've been tracking with us through this series, you are not thinking, hey, the Great Commission is just for super Christians and pastors and missionaries, right? I mean, hey, listen, when the pastor of missions preaches on missions, I'm listening, okay? So even though I was at the hospital last week, I tuned into John's sermon, and he laid out some very excellent arguments for why the Great Commission is for every single Christian, okay? So if you missed that, just download, go back and listen to it. It's worth another listen, maybe two, three, four, five times, okay? It's that good. But let me say this. If you need a further reason to be convinced that this command is for everybody, here's what I want you to do. Just pick up the New Testament and read it. Because on every single page from the Gospels that ends with the Great Commission to the book of Acts and all the letters that flow through the book of Revelation, it's all the fulfillment and the execution of that command. So if you don't think the Great Commission is for you, do not pick up your Bible because you will be confronted with it on every single page. This commission is for all of us. No one is exempt. Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, James, John, you guys, Great Commission. Andrew, Matthew, you guys just kind of chill out, do your tax collecting thing. You know, don't worry about sharing the gospel with anybody. Don't worry about the nations. I want you to say, with me. The Great Commission is my job. All right, here we go. The Great Commission is my job. Let's have a little fun. The Great Commission is my jobby job, all right? The Great Commission is my jobby job, right? It's, it's our work. This should be our ambition to make Christ known among all the nations. This is why we at Redemption Hill never want to hear anyone say, I'm not called to be a part of God's global mission. Now, many of us will probably not be called by God to give our lives to go overseas and go career with our lives in missionary service. But I want to say this, there better be some some of us that are. We're praying, like before we even landed in Boston, we were praying for that. And we're still praying for that, that that we will send out many, many missionaries to give their entire lives, like the Apostle Paul, so that unreached peoples can know the gospel. So let's not say we're not called overseas. We're all called. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said it very well. Listen to his words. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. For 
put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Put your ear down to the word of God and look Jesus in the face and see if your heart might not get ignited for the global glory of our great God. Flowing from this ambition, we then next see Paul's determination to strategically invest in the most unreached places of the world. You say, where, Paul, did you go? What, what was kind of your strategy for taking the gospel from one city to the next? And we find it again in verses 19 and 20. Let's read them again. They're too good not to grasp this morning. Paul says that by the Spirit, he accomplishes work so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So here we have what is probably the clearest statement of the heart ambition and strategy of the Apostle Paul. Check this map out. Paul, after he was converted on the Damascus Road, spends about 14 years roughly in preparation, sharing the gospel, going around in that kind of area of, of Jerusalem, Damascus, and ultimately he lands in Antioch, going to preach the gospel. And then in Acts 13, the church of Antioch sends out Paul and a dude named Barnabas to take the gospel to people so that they can plant churches and raise up new churches in these unreached areas. So you can see here from 47 AD to roughly 57 AD, Paul goes on three missionary journeys where he's preaching the gospel in cities like Antioch, Iconium, and Derbe, Ephesus, Troas, and Philippi, Berea, Corinth, and Athens, okay? And this is just to name a few. So, so, so look at this map. This is one man's life working with a team. This is why we came to Boston as a team, by the way, okay? Is because Paul, you don't see Paul alone on mission. He's with Barnabas. He's with Silas. He pick him, he's picking up Timothy for the journeys and the work. So, so what happens then is that he is covering, look at this, part of the Middle East, all across Central Asia and into Western Europe. This is astounding. So when Paul says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, can you see it? Can you see Jerusalem in the bottom right corner? Can you see Illyricum, the region in the, north, in the, in the top left corner? He's speaking of the, the, the bounds of his missionary work. And so now then we ask, how, Paul, can you say? Surely you didn't yourself go into every single city and village and take the gospel and preach it so that people believe and became followers of Christ. How can you say that you have reached this whole area with the gospel? And he, he makes it even more explicit in verses uh, 22 and 23. Check this out. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. He said, man, I would have already been in Rome, but I was so busy preaching the gospel that I couldn't get there yet. 
I mean, believe me, Paul wanted to go to Rome so he could preach the gospel and so that he could continue on his mission. We'll get to that in just a moment. But look at verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, how can Paul say this? No room. There's no room for me in this region now because the gospel has gone forth. Here's how he could say that. Because Paul, his strategy was to go to major urban areas, strategic cities, and take the gospel to those cities, see new converts come to Christ, place their faith in Christ, become disciples and followers of Christ. And do you know what Paul did? He left the work in their hands. He said, you know what? I'm going to spend a few weeks sometimes. I'm going to spend a few months. I'm going to spend up to maybe a year and a half or two. And then you know what? Man, I'm checking out of here. And you, because you have the Spirit of God and you're a disciple of Christ, not only know the gospel, but you really live out the gospel. And guess what? You also share the gospel. This is what Christians do. It's normal Christianity. I don't know how many times we can say it to make the point. So to make this very personal, let me ask you this. What if our leadership team, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, 24 months ago, would have said, you know what? Hey, Redemption Hill, you're all set. We're out of here. We're, we're moving on. We're going to Montreal. What happens to our church? Is, is, do we have a church full? I believe we do, but we're growing in this area, right? We have a church that says, you know what? The mission belongs to me. It's my job, right? My job, description says, make disciples of all nations. And so he left the work to the converts to then evangelize the surrounding areas. So when Paul takes the gospel to these strategic cities, he says, man, I have no elbow room left in these regions because the gospel is going forth everywhere. Astounding. Here we see that Paul would basically, to put it in our context, he would say, you reach New York City, you reach New York State. See that? Reach Philly, you're reaching eastern Pennsylvania. Reach Chicago, and you're reaching a major portion of the Midwest. You see? Because the gospel is running forth through these areas. I love the heart of the Apostle Paul. And we see his heart and the heart of missionaries who have followed in his footsteps. Let me introduce you to a man named C.T. Studd, Charles T. Studd. And this guy was a stud for the gospel, all right? Studd was a cricket player. You like that, AP? I know you did. That's what you're trying to be. I like that, me too. Studd was a cricket player in late 19th century England, and this guy was really, really good, okay? He was famous. He was making a lot of money. He was all set. His family was actually wealthy, too. So, man, if anybody just wanted to chill out and live the high life, it was Charles T. But in the prime of his career, he gave up his profession. He gave up his wealth, and he said, you know what, man? I'm going to peace out with some other guys with a mission in community, by the way. I'm going to peace out with six other guys that were called the Cambridge Seven, and I'm going to take the gospel to China. And after he took the gospel to China, he went to India. And after he got sick and came back to England to heal up, and people said, you're crazy, you're a fool if you go anywhere else, then he took the gospel to Africa. And he died in the Congo 
at the age of 70. Dude was so hardcore that he named, you aren't ready for this, he named his daughter Salvation Grace Faith Stud. I mean, I don't even, I don't even have a category for that, man. I just, I mean, I, I mean, I thought Kessed Grace, you know, like Steadfast Love Grace. I mean, I thought we were doing good there. But dude names his daughter Salvation. I don't know if they called her like Salvi or Grace or Faith or kind of all three, SG, SGF. Or, but, but I mean, he was a stud. This is what C.T. Studd said about his heart for the mission. He says this, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He wanted to take the gospel where Christ had not been named. This was the heart of the Apostle Paul. John Falconer says something similar when he says, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Listen, the gospel is not shining so bright in Boston. We all have a great opportunity as one of the least reached peace places in North America to, to live out the gospel, to share the gospel. We all have hundreds of friends. If you have a few friends, probably most of them don't know Christ. That's just by the percentages here in Boston. And so let's devote ourselves to this land so that the light of Christ can shine. But again, let's be active in taking the gospel to the lands of darkness so that the light of Christ can shine brightly. Now, then how are we going to go about this as a church? This is how we're going to do it. John, taking the lead on this, working in consultation with me and our leadership team, and now Pastor John Ruddy, we've come up with a global mission strategy. And we're building this strategy on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus gives the Great Commission one more time before he ascends to the Father, and he says this to all of his disciples who were there, all of them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, let me just say this for you, you Bible scholars out there. You know that Paul is not exclusively referring to, uh, or Jesus is not really exclusively referring just to geographic areas when he's naming these names. Okay, there were other uh, ethnic and cultural barriers in, in Judea and Samaria. Okay, so there's more than just geography here, but there's certainly not less. Because what we see in Acts, this is, Acts 1-8 is an outline for the whole book of Acts. The gospel starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we want to do is we want to say, hey, you know what? Man, we see that God has placed us in Boston, so we want to plant churches throughout greater Boston, but we don't want to stop here we want to go to New England, and we don't want to stop there. We want to go to North America, and we don't want to stop there. We want to go to the end of the earth, and that's why we're focused now in India. It doesn't have to be in order. It just means that we're active at all times prayerfully and reaching the globe with the gospel. So think about this. Why do we plant a church in Boston? It's because not only is Boston one of the, it is the most influential, I mean, make an argument, I don't think you can stand. It's the most influential city in New England, right? Anybody disagree? I hope not. I'm not hating on any other cities. Okay, some other good cities, but Boston's it, right? Beantown. This is our, this is our city. Just ask Big Poppy, all right? So um, this is our city. So we want to see the gospel 
penetrate Boston because Boston is not only the most influential city in New England, it's one of the most influential cities on the planet. So if you touch Boston, you can touch the world. This is why we've come. Our heart is to see this city reach so that we can reach the world from this city. It's, it's what we see in Paul, and this is what we see in great missionary strategists throughout the centuries. D.L. Moody said this about American cities. You ready for this? He said, water runs downhill, and the highest hills in America are the great cities. If we can stir them, we shall stir the whole country. Now, just chew on that and understand that this is not only how we feel about America, this is how we feel about the world. So our global mission strategy is going to focus, like Paul did, on major urban areas to take the gospel. You say, well, why is that? Well, let me just talk to you about a couple of major phenomenons going on in our world like the world has never seen. One is called globalization. The other is called urbanization. Now you say, Tanner, what is it? These are big words, okay? Number one, globalization. It means that the world has become more and more flat where it is easier, okay, so this is the flat is just an analogy for traveling fast. It is easier to communicate and to travel and to do business. Many of you are in, in work where you travel from country to country for your job, okay? The gospel can spread faster and more efficient today than it ever has been able to do before. So it doesn't matter if we're talking countries or continents, the, the world has become globalized where, man, we can get on the internet and talk to people in China just like that. As simple as that. But not only do we have this phenomenon of globalization, we also have this phenomenon of urbanization. Did you know that over half of the world's population lives in cities? Like right now today. Think about how big the world is. Think about all the little, the dots on the map that make up the major metropolitan areas, okay? And half of the world lives on, in those dots. But now you're not ready for this next stat, okay? The United Nations predicts that 64% of the developing world and 86% of the developed world will live in cities by 2050. I mean, you understand what that's saying? 86% of the world's population in, in developed countries like America, like Western Europe, like, like other parts of, of, of the world are going to be living in cities. And even the, the developing countries, the third world countries, they're, they're, they're going to be becoming more urban too. So what this means is if we want to be on the front line of mission, we better have a plan to reach cities. And we do. So our global strategy, using an Acts 1-8 principle, you've heard us, we want to reach Boston. This is our Jerusalem, right? So we're trying to encourage and help and, and support Todd Burris and Jen Burris and the work at, in Charlestown that is forming and God's doing a, a good work to bring a core team together there. So if you haven't visited their, their Sunday service yet and, or their, their Bible study that's going on as they're, they're moving hopefully toward launching in the fall, I man, go check them out, man, go help them out. Go, go give some childcare on a Sunday night just so they can be freed up to, to interact with new people that are visiting. We wanna, we wanna support Todd in Grace Harbor Church. Okay, switch the name on us a little bit. 
from Coram Deo Community Church to Grace Harbor, which was a good move on Todd's part. He's a smart guy, all right? They'll really connect with the community there. So we want to invest in Boston, and we want to see a great church planted in Charlestown. And then we want to see many great churches planted all around this great city. But then we're going to go to New England. You say, well, where are we going to go in New England? Man, we don't know. So let's all pray about it. Might be Hartford, might be Providence, might be Portland, might be another city in New England. But eventually, when God leads and the time is right and the resources are there, we're going to invest in a city in New England. Then we have North America. We've been talking about it all month. Toronto, Trinity Life Church there. Roughly 5 million people in the metro area of Toronto. We want to see that city reached with the gospel. And then the globe, the world, the ends of the earth. We're investing in indoor India a city of roughly 4 million people in the metro area who need Christ. For each of these areas, we want to help plant churches by putting the full weight of our capacity to pray, give, go, encourage, equip, and send. Which leads us into the third and final point, and this is where we get into the the details of our global mission strategy. Be not only Driven and determined, but also be delighted to partner holistically through sacrifice and service. Look back at verse 24 one more time. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I mean, does this not make the point? Can we pull that map up again, Daryl? Okay, the map that Paul is working on in his missionary journeys, you say, well, where is Spain? What's the answer? It's off the map, right? He, he's off the map at this point. He just wants to go where Christ has not yet been named. And so some people have argued that the book of Romans, and this is a pretty good argument, that it's actually a missionary support letter, okay? It's the best missionary support letter ever written, probably the best letter written, period, okay? But they say it's a missionary support letter because Paul is saying, you know what, man, I want to get to you. I want to experience that mutual encouragement, that refreshment, that, 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 that shared fellowship that we have in Jesus. And then what I hope is that you, and I'm so confident of it because you have the Spirit of God, you're going to help me get to Spain so that I can take the gospel to Spain. So when we look at Paul's life, when we look at his strategy, I want to give you just a few uh, ways that we want to get at partnering to reach these cities with the gospel, okay? You might want to write these down. Number one, we will pray intentionally and fervently for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, okay? So every single Sunday, that's why we pray for the world. In our community groups, that's why we pray for, for our missionary partners. That's why every time we have First Friday prayer, once a month, we pray first thing, for the world to take the, the gospel would run forth to these unreached and unengaged parts of the world. Number two, we will give financially through our budget and special offerings throughout the year. So, I mean, just, just to cut to the chase, roughly 20% of every dollar given, so you already gave to a special offering this morning, possibly, that is given 100% of that to the mission of God in North America and the world. But then when we give in just a moment again, we're going to to, to see about 20% of every dollar go immediately to this strategy that we're unpacking this morning. We take a lot of that percentage and we do our own work in North America and internationally, and then we give some to uh, other agencies that are accomplishing the work in grand fashion. 
So let me ask you this. Just, just wrestle with this question, okay? Don't, don't dismiss this one, all right? Start talking about money. I love what Driscoll says. He says, you start talking about people's God and they get angry. You get that? People get uncomfortable when you start messing with their gods. And the great God of American society is oftentimes money. But let me just talk about money for a second. What's one thing you can sacrifice? What's one thing you could sacrifice so that you could give more to global mission? I don't, give, I don't really give a rip if you give it to the offering basket on Sunday or if you reserve it for next week's Great Commission offering follow-up or if you give it in 2015's Great Commission offering. But, but what's one thing you could sacrifice? Man, maybe it's giving up cable. Man, I'm gonna just be, our family's praying about that. And if we give up cable, it's gonna help us maybe have a little bit more to pay for some bills that we need to pay for, but it's also gonna free up more to... Give to the world. It may not be cable. You may not be able to do that, you know. You can still watch 24 if you don't have cable. Yeah. Tomorrow night. Maybe it's, maybe it's a cup of coffee. I mean, I know some of y'all, I'll be seeing y'all. Every time I see you, you got a donks in your hand. I know, you know who I'm talking to. All right? I mean... Can we, not, can we not give up a couple of those a week? Yeah, start hiding those cups right now, see? Man, see, I knew it. Can we not give up a couple of those? I mean, what if you give up a couple of Dunkin' Donuts every week? $4, $5, times 50. Oh, you just had $250 right there to give to Global Missions. Not, let's not talk about sandwiches. Let's not talk about five guys. And talk about, you know what I'm saying? Peanut butter and jelly's all right. Apostle Paul probably ate some peanut butter and jelly. All right. That was a joke. Number three, we will go on short-term trips in North America and to the nations. Okay, so we've already have trips planned. They're in the works. They're almost planned to go to Toronto in August and then to send a short team, a small team on a short-term trip to India probably in early November. So have you prayed about possibly going on one of these trips? If you, if you can't do it this year, maybe, maybe your vacation time's already slam-packed. Maybe you could pray about 2015, 2016. I mean, could you at least pray about it? I mean, is anything off the table for us to not pray about? Absolutely not. So let's pray about giving our time, our resources, so that we can take the gospel to encourage these partnerships. Number four, we will encourage our missionaries through regular contact, visits, and fellowship. I love when Scott and I were in India. We were there with some other churches that had come in to explore partnering with the team there in Indore. And one missions pastor who has partnered with them for three or four years already, he said with tears in his eyes, he said, do you know why we encourage this team? Do you know why we send them emails? Do you know why we Skype them regularly? Do you know why we, we come and visit just to see them face to face and work with them? We encourage them so that they will stay, so that they'll persevere in the mission. Listen, global missions is not easy. People leave the field left and right because they're discouraged, because they're under spiritual warfare, because they're, they're making all kinds of sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And so we have to not only pray and give and go, but we have to encourage them through regular contact, visits, and fellowship. Number five, we will equip future pastors, church planters, and missionaries. So this is part of, I mean, why did John do a PhD? 
Why? So that he could be better equipped, not just to be a great pastor in this church, but so that he could help train other people within the church to be gospel-proclaiming Christians, and some of those will end up being missionaries that are sent out to the globe. So we want to equip, which then leads us to number six. We will send our people to the globe to be Jesus' witnesses until he returns. So listen, all of this, all of this, praying, giving, going, encouraging, equipping, sending, it's all so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forth. So as we finish this series, let me ask you a hard question this morning. Have you been moved to sympathy or have you been moved to sacrifice? Have you been moved to sympathy or have you been moved to sacrifice? The great missionary to Africa, David Livingstone, said this, sympathy is no substitute for action. I mean, we can know that 150,000 people are dying every day on the planet, most of them who do not have a saving relationship with Christ. And we can say, you know what, man, I feel bad about that. Well, if we feel bad about that, if we feel compelled, what is it going to compel us to do? Are we going to have sympathy without sacrifice or are we going to have sympathy and sacrifice? I love what Tim Keller says about movements in a church. Okay, we're, we're trying to see this at Redemption Hill. And, and just as we see it at Redemption Hill, we want to see it lived out in our global mission strategy as well, okay? So check this out. He says, there is no more practical index of whether your church has movement dynamics than examining whether you have a culture of sacrifice. If the top leaders of the church are the only ones making all the sacrifices, then you do not have a movement culture. And the same thing can only be said as this church grows and thrives in Medford, but the same can be true of our global mission strategy. It can't be just a few. That's the bottom line. It can't be just a few. Hey, I'm praying for the nations. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give. No, it has to be all of us. Then we have a movement culture. Then we have something going on where, as John was seeing last week about 14 times, man, we can shake the nations for the glory of God. So this means that we're not just going to send people, but we're going to send our best people. And we're not just going to give a little bit, we're going to give generously and sacrificially. This was the holy ambition of the Apostle Paul, and I pray that it's our holy ambition as well. How does ambition work out? Let me, just, let me just end with this. In every ambition, whether it's selfish or whether it's holy, three things happen. You ready for this? We perceive, we prize, and then we pursue. Got this out of a book, Dave Harvey wrote, Rescue Ambition, really good. All right, perceive, prize, pursue. So once we perceive that something is valuable, in this case, the glory of Christ, the infinite worth of Christ, the value of Christ, we then want to prize that glory and make his glory. No, we want to treasure it. We want to value it. We want to let others in on this treasure. And so if you are perceiving the glory of Christ and you are prizing what it means to make known the glory of Christ in the world, then the only thing left for us to do is to pursue God's global glory with everything we've got. So who's in? 
I mean, I mean, who's, who's going to say, like, Jesus is not about Tanner, it's not about a missionary, it's not about Pastor John. Like, it's about Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm looking into your face, and my yes is on the table. Whatever you lead me to do, pray, sacrifice, give, go, encourage, be sent. Man, I'm gone. It's done. This is the heart of the Apostle Paul. This should be our heart as followers of Christ. C.T. Studd, his mantra was simply this, and I hope it will be a mantra in our church. He said this, forward ever, backward never. Love it, love it. Forward ever. We're always gonna go forward and marching to take the gospel to the nations, and we're not ready to take a step back. Which, by the way, it's not in my notes, but I just can't pass it up. Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is he saying? Who's on the offense here? Are the gates of hell on the offense? Absolutely not. The church is on the offense. We're on the march. We're on the move. We're going forward. So that God's global glory can be spread as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. God, thank you for this rich word. And we pray that we wouldn't get excited over just one sermon and read a text like Romans 15 and have some sympathy. <laughs> but Lord, that we would be moved to practical sacrifice. So Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do, ramping up our prayer life a little bit, sacrificing a few cups of coffee, giving up some vacation time, getting to know missionaries so that we can encourage them. Lord, we want to do it all for your namesake, that the, the, the glory of Christ might be made known. So Lord, you'll have to shake us. Your spirit will have to work. Our words mean nothing if your spirit doesn't fill us. So we ask you to fill us. We ask you to move. We ask you to glorify your name. Through Jesus we pray, amen.